Mac Power Users, episode 571. Catching up with Jeff Richardson. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm great, David. It's snowing here in the South today, so I don't what? know what to do. Snow? Yeah, snow. I just like w- sat in my kitchen and looked out the window for like 30 minutes before the show. Yeah, you know, the, I, I understand that that's a real problem in communities that aren't used to snow. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, like you don't have like the snow plows and the salt this, and all everything. The city has like three sand trucks. It's, it's not enough. So, uh, it's not going to be a big event. It's not quite cold enough, but it looks pretty. So that's fun. Are the kids playing in it? Yes, they are. The, the, they're on their lunch break currently. They're running around the yard trying to scrape enough together to make a snowball. Yeah. It's kind of sad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We, if, if it snowed in Southern California, literally everything would just explode. We, we have no ability <laughs> to cope with it. But that's that's unlikely, I think. Hey, we're joined today by a guest. Um, welcome to the show, Jeff Richardson. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm here in New Orleans, so like you, David, I'm not exactly sure what this thing called snow. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have like snow anywhere near you in New Orleans? I mean, I would assume probably not, right? I mean, we we no get mountains. snowflakes once every couple of years. Um, we actually had a a white Christmas barely in 2004, which seems special. And then a few months later, we had Hurricane Katrina. So now nobody wants that to happen again. So <laughs> I, it, it is. We are so um, spoiled in Southern California because we have mountains, local mountains that get lots of snow. And I remember as a kid, one day I woke up really early and went surfing. And then me and my friends drove up to the mountains and went sledding on the same day, you know, and that's what you can do here. Although it's you need a wetsuit in the winter. It's pretty cool. crazy. Um, either way, uh, Jeff Richardson is, I'll call you a friend, Jeff. You and I have known each other a long time. We, we have. we've, we've spoken together. Jeff's an attorney out of New Orleans, New Orleans. Did I get it right? New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans. All right. Um, and, uh, he, he started a website at the very beginning of the iPhone called iPhone JD. And this is like a mega site for lawyers. So many lawyers, uh, go to iPhone JD to see how to use their iPhone to be more productive. And, and Jeff and I have spoken together at, at various conferences. And the thing about Jeff is he's not just a lawyer. He's a guy who's a nerd and loves to share good workflows for getting more work done with your, your mobile devices. Jeff is also one of those guys that has to work on a PC and a Mac at the same time. And we had you on the show several years ago, Jeff, and it was a very popular show. A lot of people have asked to have you back. I know a lot of your workflows have changed. So uh, thanks for giving us a little time and coming back on the Mac Power Users. Great. Thanks for inviting me back. I love this show. Listen every week. Excellent. Um, so I guess we should start. Uh, well, actually, before we uh, get into the, the, the thick of it today, I just want to take a minute to talk about more power users. Stephen and I mentioned that a few weeks ago. And uh, several listeners have been signing up for it as we've kind of been um, talking about it a little bit more. And we've got some great content on more power users today. Steven and I and Jeff are going to go into the Apple car because now that's a thing again, apparently. Mm-hmm. So it seems. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but uh, I've got I've got a little time to gather my thoughts before we get to that. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. <laughs> um, either way, um, so you kind of 
made your claim to fame in the little Apple ecosystem talking about iPhone JD. So I think let's start with your iPhone. What iPhone are you using these days? Yeah, when I started iPhone JD over 12 years ago, it was called that because that's all we had was the iPhone. And I've used every one of the iPhones over the years. I'm currently using the iPhone 12 Pro. Um, I mean, basically, whenever the new models come out, I pretty much always get the new one every single year. So whatever comes out in uh, fall of 2021, I'm sure I'll be getting that too. And uh, But I like it. I like it a lot. I like the iPhone 12 Pro. I, I was very excited about this design because of the flat sides. One of my all-time favorite iPhones was the iPhone 5. I'm sure you all remember that, Mm -hmm. um, which had the flat sides. I actually think the iPhone 5 was a little easier to hold in your hand than the new iPhone 12 Pro because the iPhone 5 and 5S and all them had the those chamfered edges, if I'm using that word correctly. So it was just a tiny bit of a little, little edge on, on the corners, which made it just a little bit more comfortable. But I've been so happy with the iPhone 12 Pro that I don't need to use a case. Every once in a while, I use one. But it just makes it so much lighter and smaller to, to be able to, because of the, the flat sides, to be able to hold it more easily without a case. So I like that. I also really love the ca- the multiple cameras on it, which is the main reason that I get the Pro model instead of the regular model is that um, I like being able to I, – I do a lot of photography um, just for fun, and I like the telephoto lens. You know, we get a lot of feedback on this show. I don't know that we've heard from a single listener that doesn't like the new design of the iPhone. It seems really, really well-received, and I think a lot of people like you, Jeff, it, it – harkens back to sort of the golden age, like the four, five sort of era. And yeah, I have the same feeling. Like I pick it up and it's like, this is just really nice and it's not slippery. So it doesn't shoot out of my hands. Like, you know, the iPhone six style did. Although Jeff, you are absolutely wrong. The best iPhone ever was the iPhone four in terms of design. So, well, sure. But that was the head, the flat edge too. In my mind, it was the four and then the five series the five just got a little bit taller. You know, I, my slight preference for the five over the four was just to get a little bit more screen space without getting into the, the mega huge screens that, that today you would get with the, uh, the max model. Is that why you don't have the max? You mentioned photography. Yeah, it's just too big for me. I mean, I, I don't need something the size of a shoe holding up to my head when I talk on the phone. Um, it's, it's, it's great that it's out there, but you know, when I want to get bigger, I, I move on to an iPad. Yeah, I, I grew up watching Maxwell Smart. Give me my shoe. That's what I say. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I do think one of the reasons why it's a little more cumbersome with the flat size than it was with the 4 and the 5 is, is frankly, because the phone is bigger and heavier. Even the standard iPhone 12 Pro is bigger and heavier. Yeah, otherwise, though, I mean, the other features of it, I mean, obviously, it's faster than the other models, which is always nice. The The thing that everybody, you know, at the keynote, they said 5G, 5G, 5G a million different times. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, for me, at least, 5G is a non-issue. Um, you know, here in New Orleans, I use AT&T, and the, the sub-6 version of uh, 5G, I find, is rarely faster than LTE, and sometimes is even slower when I do little speed tests myself. And I know that you get that super-fast 5G speed with the millimeter wave stuff. And sometimes I'll see people post on Twitter, you know, the test that they just ran on speed test that has, you know, ridiculously fast speeds. But I have yet to find one of those in New Orleans. And I understand you sort of need to be 
outside to really even take advantage of it. I mean, I, I think 5G is going to be cool in the future, but but we're not there yet. Um, if, in, in my mind, if Apple was going to add something to this phone instead of 5G, I frankly sort of wish it had been a Touch ID button like they put on the um, iPad Air because during the, the, you know, the pandemic, it'd be great to be able to unlock the phone when I'm in the grocery store with my finger as opposed to having to type in my long passcode. But, um, but otherwise, I love, the, I love it a lot. Do you guys ever, like, I know, we, of course, we always want it faster, but do you, like, do you have problems on your phone where it's not fast enough to do whatever it is you need? No. I mean, yeah, I don't think I've felt that way in a long time. No, with a caveat, though, which is that whenever I will go back, you know, often my phones get passed on to other members of my family. And so I'll go back and look at the phone that my son or my daughter is using uh, and I'll pick it up just to do something. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, everything is being so slow and non-responsive. And of course, if it's not, you just sort of grow used to the faster speed. Um, I mean, I'm sure the same is true with the, the M1 Max. Once you get used to the, the faster speed, you're like, how could I possibly use an Intel Mac? That's why I'm not using an M1 Mac yet. Yeah, you shouldn't. It's it is it's the kiss of death if you pick one up. But the um, but what I was actually referring to is is the internet speed, like the oh. prior LTE versus now the 5G is the new thing. Um, I guess part of the problem is I'm rarely off Wi-Fi anymore because of the pandemic, but I just don't really notice that like, boy, this YouTube video is really choppy or, you know, the stuff I do on my phone, I just don't know that a faster internet connection is the problem that I have right now. The big place that I notice it, David, is, um, and of course, during the pandemic, this isn't happening, but in the, in the pre-times when we would actually travel places, I, for my iPad, have never had, well... Uh, I have once in the past, but for a long time, I haven't had the model that has cellular in it because it's just so easy to tether to my iPhone. And when I'm doing a bunch of my iPad, I actually can notice when the speeds are slower. Um, so that that's one place that, you know, in theory, the super fast 5G would be great if it could simulate, you know, high speed Wi-Fi. Yeah, back when I had my remote office at Disneyland, um, that is always a troublesome area for Internet because there's so many people hitting it. And I do believe this millimeter band, one of the benefits of it is you could have a lot of people in a small area getting fast speed. I mean, that was kind of the the idea behind it, like stadiums and theme parks. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But to be honest, I really haven't had the need for additional internet speed, at least so far with this new phone. Yeah, it just seems like 5G rolled out in sort of the most awkward time period possible for something like that to roll out in. I suspect that the problem with the button, you know, getting the touch ID button is just a question of time and logistics. I mean, Apple makes millions of these phones. And my guess is that the design was locked in before COVID existed, you know, and, you know, saying let's add a touch ID button in the last six months is pretty much impossible. I'll be very curious to see if they add one in 2021, though. Agreed. So let's talk a little bit about iOS 14. It's brought a lot of changes to the iPhone experience. I think for most people, that's taking the form in widgets. Uh, Jeff, has that changed the game for you in any ways? Wow, that has been such a big thing for me, Stephen. I tell you, you know, I look at my iPhone, you know, as a way for me to be productive. In some ways, it's sort of like my extra brain, the things that I'm not going to remember myself. My iPhone is taking care of that for me, whether it's, you know, schedules or whatever else. And, and widgets has, I mean, that's been such a huge change for me on the interface of the iPhone. I, ha- I love that I can have the, I mean, the way that I have mine set up 
is I have two stacks on my first screen, uh, you know, the, the smallest version of the stacks, the two by two, one at the top left and one at the top right. And the one at the top left, I just have two programs in there that um, I use that smart rotate feature that it just changes randomly throughout the day. Um, and I have it switched between Fantastical, which is the app that I prefer to use for my calendar, and Things, which is my to-do app. And what I like about it is every time I look at my iPhone and how many times a day do you pick up and just look at your iPhone to, to do something, it will either be showing me in the top left my upcoming calendar for the day, just so that I have in my brain, oh yeah, this is coming up at two o'clock or whatever. Or um, I can usually fit a couple of like the most, the top three or so three or four of my to-do items. So I'm just reminded, oh yeah, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And it's, you know, without nagging me, it's just sort of like having somebody next to me whispering in my ear, don't forget, Jeff, you got to get that Smith versus Jones case done today. Oh yeah. I got, I have that, that, that lawsuit to work on. And I love that it's just there always just showing me things. And then on my other stack, it's just a little more, more fun or just informational. I've got, I love that with widgets, you can have the same app have multiple widgets. So the Carrot Weather app, which I think is fantastic, that's my favorite weather app, although I have probably all of them on my iPhone someplace. Um, I have like one Carrot Weather widget, which has the upcoming you know forecast, which is nice to know because in New Orleans, the weather's changing all the time. And, um, and I have another Carrot Weather widget, which has the radar. And you have to pay for a more premium subscription to get that, but it's not very expensive. And so I can just sort of look up and see, you know, if there's rain, I can see a little map in the corner of my screen and just get a sense of how close it is to me. Or maybe if it's raining right now, how much how much there's left before it goes away. And then the other things I have in that stack are the built-in photos app, which just randomly displays some fantastic image from years in the past, which always brings a smile to my face when I see my kids back when they were young and cute. Um, and I also have the WidgetSmith um uh, widget. And I'm currently using that just to display photos from one of my favorite albums. And so as a result, that top right of my iPhone, it's either giving me something about the weather, which is interesting to know, or it's just making me smile because I see some fun pictures of things that we did in the past or things that my kids did. And so I, between those two stacks on my first screen, it has just so, it's just made the, the, the home screen of the iPhone so much better um, gosh, I can't wait until they allow you to have this on the iPad for real. Right now, you can use it in a limited way. But um, but I love it a lot. And then on my second screen of my iPhone, I have one of those huge uh, widgets, the 4x4 one that I'm using for the Shortcuts app because I like to use shortcuts for all sorts of things. And right now, I have it that it's you know got a number of shortcuts there that on the button that I can just tap and I can – I guess you can fit eight on there. And so I can tap and launch a shortcut. And so far, that's been working fine. I've actually thought about changing it to something that I think, David, you actually recommended in the past of where you take advantage of the um, shortcuts feature of having menus and stuff. And I, I may do that to sort of create a launcher-type experience. But um, so the, the, the shortcuts stack is, is nice. I'm using it. It's fine. But the way that the, those stacks on my first screen have just it's, – it's been one of the biggest changes in the interface of the iPhone for me um, in years. It's been huge. Yeah, the question with the shortcut stack is how many shortcuts do you actually use? I mean, if you only use four or eight, then just make a widget and have it directly to those shortcuts. But, I mean, honestly, there's like 50 shortcuts that I regularly launch. And uh, having to choose from menu kind of selection thing I do uh, makes more sense for someone that uses a lot more. Um, uh, also on the photos widget, I just wanted to make the comment, if people haven't tried it yet, that you should give that widget a try. I can't get over how good it is at surfacing really good pictures that I'd forgot about. 
You know, I mean, you have the pictures that you've marked as favorites, but this algorithm doesn't use that. It it seems to be, I'm not sure how it figures it out, but. I think it uses the memories feature. So, you know, sometimes it'll be, here's something cool that you did on this day 10 years ago. Or sometimes if it's somebody's birthday, I'm sure their picture is going to show up and remind me that I could, should send them a text to say happy birthday. Um, so I think it's, 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 it's the same type of AI they use for memories, but does, it, it, it works great, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, just the other day, I turned on my phone, and there was a picture of me and Steven from some relay event several years ago on my phone, and it just made me smile, you know? <laughs> and um, you get the same thing with your kids and your spouse and your friends, and uh, it, it really is a widget worth giving a try because it's not as simple as you may think it is. Yeah, you know, the, in fact, the whole memories feature in Photos, I love it because, you know, Apple recognizes that it's so easy to have digital photographs and it's so easy to get to the point you have, you know, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands. But then you have so many, how do you, you know, how do you find them? And you can, you can search for them if you want to, but I love that it just sort of, you know, here's one that might be interesting. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's something not that interesting, but more times than often, it's just delightful, which is just such an Apple thing, just, you know, surprise and delight. Yeah, I've mentioned this before on the show, and I know that during COVID, it's you're unlikely to have a lot of guests, but anytime we have family over, um, inevitably, we all end up on the couch um, in the Photos app on the Apple TV, just going through the memories, you know, just the because it feeds up those memories on your Apple TV as well. And that's kind of one of those nice things about having all the Apple stuff where everything just ties together. But um, my mother-in-law in particular just loves to look at all those memories and, and it, it generates a short little, you know, kind of movies with the Ken Burns effect, you know, sliding between the pictures and put some music up. And it's a very popular feature in a Sparks house. In fact, one thing that's fun about that is that when it shows a photo, sometimes uh, the, is it called live photos? The idea that it records a few seconds of video with it. Yeah. You know, I, there, there may be a photo that I've looked at in the past and I know it's there, but I forget until Apple puts together a little memories video that there's actually, you know, a couple seconds to video there. And I can, you know, not just see somebody, you know, at the beach, but I could see them jumping up and down in the waves for a second or two. And it's just brilliant how Apple's put that together. Yeah. And with puppies and little kids, you should have live photos turned on all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to say, because years later, you will really enjoy those those short videos. Uh, you'd mentioned that uh, one of the advantages for you uh, with the new iPhone was the the better camera system. Um, what are your favorite ways to use the camera? Um, I mean, I don't know that I'm doing anything fancy with the camera. I keep the live photos turned on. I have started to play around with the raw photography that they've just come out with, gosh, within the last couple of weeks. But uh, as of yet, I haven't, you know... Uh, there's a couple of times that I'm taking a picture that I'm like, I'll, I'll take it raw too in case I want to do something with that later. Um, but I haven't, I haven't quite done that, done that. But the main thing for me with the iPhone is just to take as many pictures as possible, you know, at, at events because you know I'll I'll go through them later on my iPad and I'll take 50 pictures and you know call that down to just the two or three good ones. But when you take a bunch of them, then there, you know, you have those good ones. Whereas I have the fancy DSLR camera, my Nikon camera, and I will use that when I know that I'm going to take, you know, the, the nice picture for like the, you know, the Christmas card every year or something like that. But, um, but just the serendipity of the camera that's with you all the time that you can capture any moment is great. And again, things are a little different now in the pandemic, but, but even so we, we still do fun things together as a, just the, the, my more immediate family. And, uh, and I love having a camera with me all the time. Yeah, this was the first year that my family, we took our Christmas card picture with an iPhone. Just now, I, I hadn't even really thought about it at the time, but that was what I had with me, and I knew it was a good camera. Uh, what are some of your favorite iPhone apps, Jeff? 
Um, well, one thing that I sort of consider essential is as an attorney, someone who bills my time by the hour, and I know there's many other professions that bill time by the hour too, um, I think having an app that you can uh, enter your time right there on your iPhone is incredibly useful. The one that I'm currently using is called iTimekeep, but depending upon the uh, time entry system that you have, you know, there's many other apps that do it. The, the key for me is when you have to record your time, which, which is a drab, nobody, that's the worst part of practicing law. Um, but to do it, you, you, you want to be able to enter time contemporaneously so that you don't forget about it later. Um, because not only is, are you being paid for your time, but also when you send clients a bill, it's sort of like a diary of what you've done and you sort of want to capture to show the steps of what you've done. But then additionally, it's nice that at the end of the day, you're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot that I talked to John Smith for 30 minutes earlier today. And so, you know, I might even be in bed and I'll just pick up my iPhone off of my bedstand and, and just put in the time entry. So that, that, that's a great app that I encourage you to have. Now is iTimekeep, is it, a, is it like a backend web service or is it just a time tracking app? No, it's, it's, it works with other time entry systems. Um, and so, you know, at, at, you know, we, we've used it for many years at my firm, something called Elite. There, there's lots of fancy lawyer uh, time entry systems, and it will work with others. Um, but then many time entry systems have their own app, um, just depending upon what you're using. You know, my, my, my real encouragement is to have this on your phone. Don't have time entry just be something that you do in front of your computer uh, because you won't be as successful with it. Yeah. Um, another app that I use, you know, all the time, um, and I think they actually may be a sponsor today is one password uh, on last week's show. When y'all talked about security, y'all mentioned, you know, how important one password is. I mean, I cannot possibly highlight and underline that enough, especially if you're someone like me who folks hire to get things done. I mean, they depend upon you being safe and secure. And so having complex, unique passwords that you don't have to remember yourself is so important, but I don't just use one password for passwords. It's also like they have, I like that there's a notepad in there that things that are, you know, incredibly confidential, but that I want to have, again, back to my iPhone being my second brain, I can jot something down in there. You know, this is the, the settlement authority that a client has given me for a lawsuit or, um, or other, you know, medical information or things that are just truly private. Not that anybody is picking up my phone to look at notes, but I just like having a really secure place to put it. So, um, I can't, I can't. I uh, talk about one password enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I do the same thing with my medical stuff. Like when I go to the sure. doctor, I have a one password note that has like all of my prior appointments and the medications I take and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And because I, I just have one of those brains that can't remember the names of medications. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, what, you know whatever that defect is. I have it, but having it in a secure note is really good because I don't necessarily, I just want a second wall between someone picking up my phone and, and getting that kind of data. Another one that I use a lot is a, an app called Deliveries, and it uh, keeps track of things that are being delivered to you. You basically, you know, you take a uh, um, the Amazon Deliveries or whatever other service, you know, when you get the UPS or FedEx or whatever the tracking number is, you just copy it. And when you open up the Deliveries app, it senses that it's on the clipboard and it you know, helps you create very quickly an entry for that. And, um, and I like it because when something starts to ship to me, I can just stick it in there and not worry about it. And it will, you know, give me updates or I can always go back in there and check and, and gosh, especially during the pandemic where, you know, more stuff's being ordered from places like Amazon and, and, you know, less shopping in individual stores. It's great to have a central place just to know, you know, where is this? What's the current status? When is it coming? Um, it's a, it's a very useful app. Now, now, Stephen, you strike me as the kind of guy that would have like a very serious delivery tracking workflow. Oh yeah, yeah, I use deliveries. It's it's fantastic. I've tried all the other apps that do this, 
And uh, it's really great. And you can sync it with iCloud or their own uh, cloud system. I use theirs. Uh, and it's fantastic because it, it syncs to all of your devices. So you can add something on your Mac and pick it up on your phone or whatever. Uh, I've used it for a long time. I think it started life as a dashboard widget, if it I did. remember correctly. It did. So That's... from those days onward, <laughs> I've been a deliveries user. Yeah, and they they switched to a subscription model about a year ago. And at the time, I you know, I, I'm not adverse to paying a subscription but i thought i don't know if i use it enough to justify it then i looked at the other apps out there and i just ended up subscribing to deliveries i mean it's just yeah they just got got it wired down so good yeah more and more apps are going towards subscriptions and i know it's you know part of you is like wow i paid my good two dollars for this why should i pay a subscription but i actually like the idea of you know developers that make good apps you know paying them every year to continue to improve it i wanted to i want the app to get better because it's better for me yeah, I, I just got an email from a, a listener who said um, he, he he didn't want to buy my field guide. He thought it cost too much money, and then he went and bought himself a sixteen dollar sub submarine sandwich. And he's like, "Oh man, <laughs> I've got to go back and buy David's book now." <laughs> I'll mention a few more apps real quick before we go on. Sure. I mean, my favorite Twitter app is Tweetbot, and you know, especially with all the events in the news lately, it's uh, that's you know, I both like it and hate it, I suppose. But um, but yeah. I, I love the Tweetbot app. Um, Scanner Pro, you know, whenever I really try to be as digital as possible, which I'll talk about more later when we talk about the iPad. But whenever I get a piece of paper. Scanner Pro uh, by a company called Readle is just a great app for um, taking a quick image and automatically saving it to my Dropbox and, and naming it the way that I like and stuff. Now with Scanner Pro, they one of the things I really like about their app is they have built-in workflows and automations. Do you use any of that stuff? I have in the past, although right now I've got it set up that, and I forget if it's through an automation or, I mean, basically when it comes in, it, it names it the way that I like with, you know, the year dash month dash day and puts it in the folder that I need in Dropbox. And then once it's in Dropbox, you know, no matter where I am, I can get it where, where I need it. So I haven't needed to use any of the fancier parts right now for the most part, but I have tried it in the past and I like that they have that um, that capability, but I also love it just because the quality is really good. I mean, it it does a great. It, it's you know, I maybe not exactly as good as a you know thousands of dollars flatbed scanner that we have in my law office, but it's darn close, and it's close enough that it's it's more than good enough. Yeah, a lot of people have a very thorough work uh, paperless workflow these days without one of those flatbed or document scanners. You can do it now with just an iPhone. One that I like that is, we talked about to-do app before, I, I like to use things, uh, but there's an app that's sort of the opposite of a to-do app. It's more of a have-done app. It's called When Did I? Uh, there's a couple in the app store. This one's by an Australian developer named Heidi uh, Pilipas, P-I-L-Y-P-A-S. And uh, it's a nice way to sort of to mark that you have done something when it's something that you don't do that often, but from time to time, you just sort of, sort of want to know, gosh, how long has it been since I did blank? How long has it been since I washed my car, got a haircut, you know, did this thing, uh, you know, bought a new bottle of shampoo, whatever it is. And, you know, as you start to use it over time, you can start to see trends of, oh, you know, I see that I'm doing this once every so-and-so. And it's, uh, again, it's that idea that the iPhone is, is adjacent to my brain. It's a great little app for, uh, for keeping things like that. I think, I think it's cute. I like that. You know, I had never heard of this category of apps until you had told us about it in prep preparation for the show today. And uh, so I started looking into this and it's interesting to me because it's kind of like the inverse of a habit app, you know, where a Absolutely. habit app tells you, you know, it's time to brush your teeth. This app says, when was the last time you brushed your teeth? 
And I don't know what to think about this category. <laughs> I, although they do use brush your teeth as an example. Believe me, I'm not logging when I brush. I don't need an app to tell me the last time I brushed my teeth. But things yeah. that you might do every couple of weeks or months. Um, it's actually, or uh, when's the last time I had my car service? Things like that. It's nice to just have one central location to have all that stuff in there so that I don't have to go, you know, search through my calendar if I wrote it down there or search through some emails. or um, It's just nice to have it all in one place. Can you also like set reminders? Like if I haven't had my car service in four months, tell me. I don't think so. And another feature that I've requested that I hope she adds is the ability to say, you know, on average, you do this every X days or every X weeks just to sort of, you know, help you predict, well, you know, it might be time to do such and such again because you tend to do it every every seven weeks. So, Well, that's that's a new one for me. Thanks for sharing it. The last one I'll mention, although, again, I haven't used it much during the pandemic, but when I do travel for work a lot, I love the TripIt uh, service because as you get, you know, when you're taking trips, as you get your hotel email reservation, you can just forward it to a specific email address and it shows up in the TripIt app or your, you know, car rental or, you know, airline or whatever it is. And it's nice to have um, one central app that will keep all of your uh, itineraries uh, in one place. And when you pay for the, um, the, whatever the tier that I'm on, it will actually, you know, it does a good job giving you alerts. I mean, I've definitely had times in the past where I'm sitting at gate, you know, 9B at the airport and my app says, you know what, they're going to move it over to gate seven. And so I will pick myself up and start to get a good seat. And then as I'm moving over, then the announcement comes on the loudspeaker telling everybody else that we're moving to gate seven. So um, again, right now it's been a while since I've used that app, but I look forward to the days when I can use it again. That was an app that was on my radar to check out this year. I traveled a lot in 2019 and I was just saving everything in Apple notes, like just like PDFs of tickets and that sort of thing. And it, it works okay if you don't travel very much, but if you do a lot, it falls down and it's like, I'm going to do trip it. And, uh, I downloaded it and I don't think I've opened it since because I haven't gone anywhere, (laughs) but hopefully, uh, hopefully one day soon. Yeah. I'm like that too. I, I just don't travel enough, but I know people like Jeff and Rosemary Orchard as well, who are like hardcore TripIt users. And I feel like that is probably something I'm missing out on, but I'll wait until I'm actually, you know, leaving my front door again sure. to think about it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. We all have countless online accounts, everything from bank websites to social media and everything in between. And of course, each of those accounts needs its own unique password. And that's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is you won't have to remember them. You simply unlock 1Password, which you can do in a bunch of different ways, by the way. Face ID, Touch ID, using an Apple Watch on a recent Mac model. And all of a sudden, you're in logging into those websites and applications securely, safely, and quickly. With 1Password for families, you can share information with the important people in your life. And with 1Password for teams, you can create different vaults for different coworkers, managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. We use this at RelayFM, and it has been spectacular. Of course, 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and devices, so I can not only log in on my Apple devices, but on my PC and my test Android phone as well. They have a great feature called Secure Notes, so you can store non-password information in one password. So if you're like me and you can never remember your kid's social security numbers, uh, stick those in one password and you'll be good to go next time you have some paperwork to fill out. 
Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU. Now, Jeff, you call the website iPhone JD, but I know that it really should be also called iPhone and iPad JD because you do a lot of work on your iPad. I remember one point I was complaining about how Google Docs on iPad was a dumpster fire. And I was on a trip and I have one of my clients, you know, several of my clients use Google Docs for contract stuff. Right. And so I wanted to track changes with it. And of course, none of it works on the iPad. I only had the iPad with me on the trip. And and you sent me an email, a very nice email, just kindly saying, Dave, why didn't you just use your iPad to remote into your Mac? And then you could have done all that work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got thinking, man, Jeff, Jeff Richardson is hardcore on iPad. I love my iPad. In fact, I mean, iPhone JD is what the site's called. But if you type into your browser, iPadJD.com, it'll go there as well. Um, <laughs> we talk about the iPad quite a bit. I talk about the iPad a lot. Um, I'm a, I am use the iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch, the big one. And um, sure. I remember when I first got that one, I was like, "Whoa, this is so much bigger than the standard iPad size. But very quickly, I got used to that larger size. And now when I look at the quote unquote regular size iPad, I'm like, oh, look how cute that is. Um, but I, I, you know, it's... As a lawyer, I mean, such, I mean, my practice, you know, typically lawyers, they're, you know, people, paper, you know, that's what we deal with is paper. And because of my iPad, I don't deal with paper. Um, It it has replaced, you know, every aspect and and it has improved every aspect of uh, of being a lawyer for me as a result. So, um, so I I love it. I mean, the, the main thing for me is it's sort of a replacement for, you know, when you think of a stereotypical lawyer, you picture them holding a legal, a, a yellow legal pad, right? Yeah. And um, the iPad is my legal pad. It's the place that I, I jot things down. And I'll, instead of like shoving some papers into the back of the legal pad, they are, you know, scans that are there in, in the iPad. And, um, and it's, it just works so well. I, I want to break that down a little bit because, you know, as someone who practices law, I can tell you those yellow pads are madness. It's the road to madness. You, you go into these files, like as a lawyer, and there's, page upon page upon page of yellow notes in there that aren't indexed, aren't searchable, written by different people. And it's just, it's crazy. And, but for some reason that, you know, that is the workflow that they teach you coming out of law school. How have you replaced that with the iPad? Give me some details. So I'll mention two tools first. Um, The Apple Pencil, which is key. I mean, that's the best part of the iPad for me, or one of the best parts of the iPad is the Apple Pencil. And I especially like the second generation version because it's got that flat edge and can magnetically stick to the top of the iPad. I love that that now works with the iPad Air um, as of a couple of months ago, which will hopefully encourage even more folks to um, to you know see the wisdom of having an, uh, an Apple Pencil. Um, but you need to have a good stylus, and the pen, the Apple Pencil is just fabulous. I will mention parenthetically that if you want, if if it's too expensive for you, if you don't want to spend over a hundred dollars for a stylus, there are some good alternatives out there. Uh, for example, uh, a company called Adonit, A D O N I T, makes a, a number of, of fabulous styluses. Um, they have styluses, styli. I don't know what the word is. Uh, they have the Adonit Note line, which is good. It's you know maybe fifty bucks or even cheaper, and they work really well. They're almost as good as the Apple Pencil, not quite as responsive. And some of them even come with special features. Like I reviewed one on my website last year in the beginning of the pandemic called the, um, uh, forgetting the name of it, but it's the version of the, uh, 
Madonna note that has a UV light on it. So, you know, scientists, I guess, say that you can use ultraviolet light to kill germs, including COVID. And so if you, you know, didn't want to touch that cup before you destroyed the potential bacteria or viruses on it, you could literally use your stylus and pull down a button on it and uh, rub, the, you know, just run the UV light over it, which is a little silly, but, you know, who knows? I, I kind of like the idea, though, of having like your own laser gun. That you <laughs> exactly. <have>. <laughs> you <laughs> do feel fun. almost like, yeah, exactly. Like you have your own lightsaber or something. But I even have a model that I haven't tried yet, but it's called like their M model that you can use with an iPad as an external mouse. Like you sort of quote unquote draw on the table and it, and it acts as a mouse input. It's, you know, I, I applaud them for trying to find a way to give people a reason to look at their products over, um, over Apple's. But frankly, at the end of the day, Apple pencils works, works so well for me. And then the flip side of it is you need a good app for, uh, for taking notes in. And although I, I take notes in different forms in many different apps, my, my number one favorite one is good notes, which just allows me to have, um, you know, virtual pages that for me are a light yellow background with lines on it, just like it was a traditional, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, legal pad. And I have a, a different, you know, you have, I have one for the Smith case, one for the Jones case, one for this, one for a project, one for a pro bono thing I'm working on, whatever it is, I have its, you know, virtual pad and then just have pages and pages of notes in there. And you can just take notes in handwriting. It does a pretty good job of, of automatically as you're writing, uh, using OCR to understand your handwriting. So like if I'm taking notes in a trial and I may have a hundred pages of notes and I'm like, oh, where did witness such and such talk about, you know, the, 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 the part one, two, three, I can just do a search for one, two, three and jump right to that page. But it's just a great place to keep everything. Um, most of my law practice is appellate oral arguments. And so I, I just had one a few days ago that I was getting ready for. And I, I just, you know, use the pencil to write my oral argument. And then I wanted to quote something from like a document. And so I just take a quick you know, use the the screen capture function to take a picture of that and then crop it down and put that right there in my notes so that when I'm reading it, I'm reading exactly from that little snippet of the contract or the document. And you can have different colors and different sizes. And as I work on my argument, something that originally was on page one, I might move back to page two or page three. And, at, you know, when I actually go to give my oral argument, I'm not going to read from the notes. I mean, usually at that point, I know exactly what I'm going to say. But because I'm such a visual person, I can sort of picture in my head, oh, yeah, what the judge is asking me about now, that's what I wrote in blue on sort of the – I can sort of picture that corner of the second page where I had it, and I can remember exactly what I wrote that I wanted to say in response to that. So it's – I mean, it's it's just fabulous. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that the process of writing it – I mean, there's science behind the process of writing versus typing and how it connects things in your brain. And that's absolutely doable with a digital tool. Although I have to laugh that you're still using yellow paper. I think that's funny. <laughs> um, the, uh, one of the things I like about GoodNotes, just to pile on a little bit, because I've, I've looked at all of them and GoodNotes is the one I use too. Um, they have different paper styles in addition to color. So like I really like the dot grid um, because it allows you to draw you know, images as well as writing. And it, it does keep some semblance of order on the page. But when you zoom out, you don't even see the dot grid. Another thing you can do with it is you can create templates. So like if you wanted to do your daily diary handwriting on your iPad, you could do that and you could actually create a diary sheet and save it as a template into day one and it would do that for you. I'm, I'm sorry, day one uh, into GoodNotes and it would do that for you. So you could just like write on top of it. Um, one of the complaints a lot of people have about this though is they're like, I like the feeling of my pen on my paper and, you know, 
plastic on glass is not the same. How does, you know, where do you fall on that? Do you, do you take any steps to try and make it a better experience? Um, for the most part, I'm used to it, but I do agree with those folks with one part, which is that I find I can write more quickly using a nice pen on paper than I can with my stylus on a screen. Hmm. And so times when, when, when time is of the essence, and a good example is, you know, I w- when I was giving that oral argument a few weeks ago, you know, I went first and then my opponent went and then I had a rebuttal. While my opponent was uh, speaking, I had to, you know, quickly jot down what they were saying and then noted on the right what I, you know, how I was going to respond to it. I find that um, when I've tried to do that in the past on my iPad, I just find that I can't write quite as quickly. And so I definitely use paper for that. Um, but otherwise, uh, that, that's the big one for me. I know that there are people, and I've tried some of these in the past, these um, screen protectors that give that change the feel of the surface of the iPad. But at the end of the day, I, I, I guess it's a question of personal taste. But I, I love the way the stylus, the Apple Pencil stylus feels against the iPad screen. I, I would recommend, if you're interested in that, there's one that I put on as an experiment last year, and I've kept it on for the whole year. It's the I, the Moshi iVisor, and um, it it doesn't require, like, a clean lab to install, like so many of these do, you know. Um, it installs very easily, and it's got a really nice feel to it, and it also kind of brings down, you don't get fingerprints anymore, and you don't get as much glare back, but... Um, and it feels really nice writing on the pen with that eye visor on it. I think you used one of those too, Stephen, or didn't you at one point use one of those? Uh, yeah, I did for for quite a while, and it, it is uh, it is really nice, especially if you use your iPad outdoors at all, or you can't control the light. It just it does amazing things to the glare. But but Jeff, I I think it's interesting. You know, we have a lot of people on to talk about iPad, and they always want to talk about keyboards, but. One of the things you told me in preparation for today is that the pencil is by far the most used accessory on your iPad. It is. It is because it's not just when I am taking handwritten notes. It's also when, you know, I'm looking at documents. I mean, a big part of what I do for my work is, you know, I will get a brief from my opponent and I'll read the brief and I'll have to come up with my arguments in response to it. And so I use... um uh, the app that I'm mostly using is called PDF Expert, um, also by Riedel, um, where you know I will get the PDF version of the document, and using PDF Expert and my pencil, I will go through and highlight things that I want to make sure that I respond to, write notes, you know, in the marginalia, in the margins of uh, you know what I want to say in response. So I'm using the pencil not just for just taking traditional notes but for annotating other documents all the time. And because the pencil's in my hand a lot, I mean, I find that I'm using it, you know, just to sort of navigate through the screen and, and stuff like that. Of course, now there's the new feature that you can actually use the scribble feature to, to write in a field, um, you know, pretty much anywhere on the iPad. And I don't use it a lot, but every once in a while, the pencil is just right there in my hand. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'll just sort of sketch it out. Um, and so I, I, I like it. It's, it, it, really, it really is useful. I do use external keyboards some, but um, but most of the when I'm dealing with my documents, um, you know, the main time I'm using an external keyboard is if I'm working with something like Microsoft Word. And then even then, even then, if I'm working with a Word document, sometimes if I have a document somebody else sent me, instead of doing like um, you know, redline annotation, sometimes I'll just use my stylus and Microsoft Word app and draw a big circle and say, you gotta you gotta move this one down, you gotta move this one further up, and you know, this argument doesn't work, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft has been very good at adopting support for Apple Pencil in the Office suite. And Agreed. You, you, uh, there's a whole tool set based on using the Pencil. So it's it's pretty great. 
um, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I think the Apple Pencil really replaces paper in so many ways. Um, and it, the one thing I can't get over is how these PDF apps, though, still so often kind of revert to the analog paper version of what they used to be, you know, like the highlighter, the red line. Um, I do like some of these apps like Liquid Text that are that are trying to push the envelope a little bit. Do you do any of that stuff? You know, I've tried uh, Liquid Text. Um, in fact, I tried it most recently because you had mentioned it in your paperless um, field guide recently. And I'm like, let me take another look at that. That requires me to sort of move my brain in a different direction. And I'm not saying I'm not going to do it one day, but it is a whole different way to work with documents. And uh, <laughs> I just sort of need to rethink how I uh, how I conceive of documents to be squeezing parts of them in and moving parts of them out. I love, I love the idea of it. Um, and I'm going to try it, but, uh, but it's, uh, that, that's a unique way of looking at things. Now you're a a big iPad guy. You like the big, you like the lunch tray. And, um, there is a rumor that I think probably has some, some truth behind it, that this year we're going to get a redesigned iPad mini. It's going to be a mini size, but hopefully maybe have the squared off design or, you know, just an improved mini I guess so. Was that Mike, uh, Mike Hurley, and Federico, and a bunch of other people on Relay now are are doing this double iPad thing where they get the big one and the tiny one? Do you see yourself going down that road? I've done it in the past. When the original iPad Mini came out, uh, I, I was one of the first in line to get one. And there was a while when I had my regular size iPad, which of course is smaller than the twelve point nine I use now, and the iPad Mini. And um, I love that mini. I mean, it's a nice device, especially for just pure consumption. You just want to read stuff. You you can hold it in your hand there. It's like a little book. I used to when I would, uh, you know, sometimes when I would travel and I would leave my laptop at at, at the office and just travel with my iPads to get work done, I would actually sort of set up in the hotel room like the mini would be on the side with like the contract on it and Mm -hmm. the iPad would be in front of me and I'd use Microsoft Word to type. Now, that was before the days of where you could have multitasking on the iPad and split screen and everything else. Um, But I have to admit, there I do have a soft spot for that mini just because it's it's cute and powerful and easy to hold and so light. Um, I I understand the, the allure of it. Especially if they made it with the same design aesthetic of the iPhone and the the other iPads, you know, and and Apple Pencil support. I guess they already have Apple Pencil support in it, but it's yeah, the, the, the Apple Pencil One. So to charge right. it, you yeah. got to plug it in like an animal. Yeah. Oh, well, Stephen, are you are you in line for the new iPad Mini if they make one that that yeah. checks all those boxes? Yeah. I mean, I've got an iPad Mini uh, in addition to my 11 inch iPad Pro, and I, I love it for being around the house and reading. You know, things I've saved to Instapaper, even reading in the Kindle app. So I think it's uh, I think it's a really nice middle size. And if this rumor's right and it gets a little bit bigger, then it separates it from the phones a little bit. Because as the phones have gotten bigger, they've really started to eat into the iPad mini's territory size-wise. I haven't checked. What What is the approximate? Is there a rumor when that would get released? Uh, I think the most recent thing I saw was like an 8.4-inch display, and supposedly it would be in uh, the first half of this year. Yeah, but maybe we'll be talking about we'll it before, the end of the, before uh, we get to summer. Yeah, I mean, the iPad Pro that I'm using came out in 2018, and yeah. although Apple did introduce a new model in 2020, it didn't have any differences in it that made a difference for my, for my life. Sure. But my hope is that the current iPad Pro is so close in features 
to the iPad Air that came out a few months ago, I mean, Apple must realize how close they are in features. And I can only imagine that the reason that exists is because they're about to come out with a new iPad Pro Mm -hmm. with something really cool in it. And then maybe at the same time, introduce an iPad mini that captures some of that. So my my hopes are that 2021, we're going to see some great new iPad features. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all agree that, I mean, they've, they're the line between the pro and the standard the air i guess now is so close that they must have like was it micro led they've got some new technologies that we've been hearing about for a few years now i I would expect that the new pro will get all that stuff Mm -hmm. so getting back to your uh your use of the ipad pro you're doing a lot of stuff with the apple pencil but what about uh typing and writing are you using a, a keyboard sometimes um not as much as some other folks use i mean i don't use a keyboard enough that it would make sense for me to have a keyboard built into the case on my iPad. Um, But I do use it sometimes. One of the things I really love in my office is I I use a PC in my office and um, the the keyboard I'd been using for years just wasn't working and I had to get something new. And so I picked up this thing by Logitech called MX Keys, which is a really nice uh, keyboard. It doesn't have a, it's just sort of a flatter keyboard. So it doesn't have like the big, big keys if you want to go that direction, but it works well. It's incredibly comfortable. It's, it's wireless, but my favorite feature of it is that the, um, the buttons it's, it's a full size keyboard with the hundred and whatever, 108 keys, but the, there are three buttons at the top that you can assign to switch, but there are three different Bluetooth radios in it. And so I can assign it that, you know, when it's on button one, it works with my PC when I press button two, it works with my iPad. And since I have a button three, why not assign it to my iPhone too? And so I love that at my desk, most of the time, my this Logitech keyboard is working on the PC and I'm typing my you know boring PC documents, whatever. But then if I want to turn to my iPad, which is just there to the left, I just press a button and almost instantly I'm typing on my iPad with that same keyboard and it works so great. And then I go back to the computer and I, and I hit a button again. So I, I love that keyboard. The, the other one that I use is the Magic Keyboard. And, and don't get too excited. when Nowadays, when people say Magic Keyboard, they think of the fancy expensive one that Apple came up with last year. But years and years ago, and Apple still sells it, was the small little Magic Keyboard, not Magic Keyboard for iPad. It's just a regular old Bluetooth keyboard. And I use it um, wrapped in one of these uh, cases uh, by Studio Neat called the um, uh, the canopy to sort of you know protect the keys and keep it wrapped up, and it, it folds into a stand. And so when I travel, that that's the keyboard that I travel with to just stick it in my bag, and I can unfold it and put my iPad in it, and then I'm typing when I need to do that. But then I fold it up and put it away. And so I you know I may go days without using a keyboard, but when I want one, there usually is one available. But I don't use it nearly as much as I use the stylus. Uh, I I just want to second the nomination for a keyboard with multiple Bluetooth radios. I got religion on this last year with the Logitech Craft keyboard, and I can't see myself ever going back. I mean, the the ability to push a button and switch from Mac to iPhone to iPad is you just don't understand how much you would use it until you have it on your desk. Yeah. Now, I am a little jealous of the fancy Apple Magic keyboard that has the built-in trackpad because I can see how a trackpad would be great with an iPad with multi-touch and stuff. I mean, I'm just using a regular Apple Magic Mouse 2, which is which is great. It's it's fine. It's a, it's an extra mouse. But um, but that's the one thing that I do. You know, if I was a serious keyboard user, then I could easily talk myself into having the one with the trackpad built in. But because I don't use it as much, it's it's fine. Do you have any other accessories that you recommend for the iPad? 
Well, one of the nice things I like about the iPad Pro is that it has USB-C, which opens you up to all, all sorts of different things, um, including, I mean, you can find on you know Amazon millions of little USB-C hubs. The one that I'm, I'm carrying around is made by Hyperdrive. It's their six-in-one. And you can just plug this thing. It, it, it's made for the iPad Pro, so it sits flat against the side of it. And it gives you every port you could, you know, really want. You know, HDMI out if you're giving a presentation or, you know, the if you want to plug in the old-style headphones, you can do that. An SD card slot, um, pass-through um, USB-C to get power. You know, it, I feel like it's sort of a jack-of-all-trades. Anything you need, I just, you know, I have it right there. I plug it on there, and my iPad can do anything. And then when I don't need it, take it away and know it, nothing extra to the side of it. That, that one's really useful. Um, another cool thing you were doing, you were telling me about, is your pandemic project that is iPad-focused. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was stuck at home as we all were and had to do something. So I decided it was a good chance to go through all of the old photographs that I have, some of which were on negatives and some of which were, you know, just literally a photograph and get them all scanned in. And then, um, of course, when you first scan them, the quality looks pretty poor. But the iPad is just such a fantastic tool for, you know, improving your pictures. You can use the pencil to use touch up on it and stuff like that. And you can, you know, the the screen is so beautiful, but it's so portable that I could just, you know, sit there on the couch or in the back porch or wherever I want to do. And I could, you know, work on the photos that I had scanned in. And and so I'll just throw out real quick um, some, some recommendations for some apps that I found really useful. One was an app called Pixelmator Photo, which is great for uh, touching up a photo with, you know, the pencil in case you have like little dust and things like that particles, you can very quickly pick them up. It's That's so much easier with a pencil than on a computer using a mouse and adjusting color and stuff. Um, Adobe Lightroom, of course, is incredibly powerful and it's got some great filters on it, like, you know, dehazing and, you know, complicated vignette filters. I love the power that you can do all those cool things on an iPad. Um, and another useful one is called Metapho, Metapho, M-E-T-A-P-H-O, which is nice because it makes it super easy to adjust the um, the date and the location of pictures. So when I scan stuff in, of course, it has today's date on it, even though the picture itself is, you know, 25 years old. So I can go yeah. put an approximate right date on it so it shows up in the right place in photos. And that's a real common problem for people trying to add old photos to their photos library. You know, it's like, that's the scan date that goes in. It's not the actual date of the photo. And you've got a picture from the 70s there. Uh, you need an easy way. I, I wasn't aware of this app, and I checked it out in preparation for today's show. It's it's a it's a nice app. I I was always doing this only on the Mac because I hadn't found a tool like this. But Metafo is is one I'd recommend. Yeah, I know it works great. The, the last one I, I found useful over the last couple of months was um, Photoshop Express. But Adobe has so many Photoshop adjacent apps. Um, but frankly, the only reason I found myself using it is it has a really good red eye tool in it. Why doesn't I mean Apple has a red eye tool? in photos, but it doesn't show up very often. I mean, you have to have a pretty obvious big face with a big red eye on it for it to even show up. I don't understand it, but um, until Apple gets their act together on the iPad from red eye, um, the Photoshop Express app does a pretty good job on that. Jeff, what is the, um, because I know you use the iPad for a lot of stuff. Um, Are there any roadblocks for you? Are there things that you want to do on your iPad that just aren't possible? You know, the big one for me is, this is probably screen size, even though I, I the 12.9 inch screen is big. It's still, you know, for sometimes when I want to get work done, I find myself going to the computer just because I have the larger screen. And you can have, you know, yes, you can have side by side documents on the iPad. And believe me, 
I do that quite a bit. I will have, you know, the, the, the document I'm looking at on the left and I'll have, you know, a word or notepad or something on the right as I'm taking notes. But um, sometimes when I need just more space, that's when I, that's when I go to the computer. But, um, but aside from that, I mean, I really can get so much done on the iPad and, and especially during the pandemic, you know, I would ha- I could do the computer, but sometimes it was just nice, you know, when you're sort of on top of your family and stuff, just to find your one little corner of the house. And I found I could get, you know, 90% of what I needed to get done on the iPad. Um, and it, it, it was, it was great. Yeah, that, that's a great story. Cause I, I do think for a lot of us, it's like, you do hit stumbling blocks with the iPad sometimes and. And you've managed your workflows in a way where you really haven't. What, so what if Apple made a 15-inch iPad? Or what if they made my my dream machine, the iMac, that tilts down to a 27-inch iPad? Would, would, that, would that be something you're interested in? I would cheer it on, but I would probably never use it. <laughs> It'd be too big to carry around. You know, I, yeah. I see, you know, there, you know, this podcaster, Leo Laporte, who on a Twitter, he's got one of those big Microsoft, they call it the Surface, whatever those things are yeah. that, you know, yeah. basically bigger than a lunch tray. And yeah. that's cool. I mean, I've actually seen one of those in a Microsoft store before, back when they used to have Microsoft stores. But, um, but I mean, practically, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not an architect that needs a CAD table or something like that. It's, uh, it's, I just think that there are some things that the computer is best for. And, um, but there's a lot of things that you don't need a computer for that the iPad is just as good for. And there are some things that the iPhone's good enough and some things that the, the Apple Watch is good enough. You know, everything has has a purpose for it. So and so do you just work on your iPad or do you play too on it? Uh, I'm not a big game person, but I tend to always have like my one guilty pleasure. And uh, the one that I've been using a lot lately is an app called Good Sudoku uh, by uh, who is it by uh, Jack. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the of the developer. I forget, but it's uh, it's a great app. Um, as the name tells you, it's good. But what I love about it is not only can you play Sudoku, but it's the first app I've ever seen that um, changes the dynamics of the game in a way to speed it up. And it even teaches you how to how to be a better player, uh, which I, I didn't expect. And so uh, whenever I have like a little downtime, I'll pick up my iPad and, and do some Sudoku puzzles. I like that. Sometimes I do crosswords on my iPad too. Yeah, Jack Schlesinger um, and Zach Gage. Um, Zach Gage, that's the name I was yeah, thinking of, yeah. Zach Gage, anything he makes for me is an insta-buy. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he gets it, you know, and he makes these mobile games that are fun. And he'll take a traditional guy. He did one with chess too a few years ago, if memory serves. And uh, just, man, that guy is, I, I'm always curious what he's going to do next, but that that's a great app. Yeah, I thought I was going to lose my job by playing flip flop solitaire too much. I finally had to. Oh, that's a great one too. <laughs> throw my that. phone in the river to get rid of it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by HelloFresh. Start cooking some delicious meals today. Click the link and use the code MPU10 for ten free meals, including free shipping. With HelloFresh, you get free pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Every week, HelloFresh offers more than 23 recipes to choose from, featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you'll never get bored. One of the things I love about HelloFresh is they give you exactly what you need. You don't have to go to the grocery store, you don't have a big grocery bill, and you don't have a bunch of food waste. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients, so you're not overbuying, which is the burden on the planet and your wallet. They offer the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. 
I've been a HelloFresh subscriber for quite a while now. I like cooking dinner for my family, and I had never really done it before I left the firm and started working from home. The problem was I was cooking the same things all the time. With a HelloFresh subscription, suddenly I had all these different options available to me with cuisines I'd never even attempted before. So they send me the box of food. It's really easy to follow the instructions. Even a bozo like me can make a delicious dinner for my family, and my wife really appreciates it. It's cheaper than going for takeout, and it's healthier. Best of all, it's my podcast time. I can stick a podcast in my ear and cook a meal for my family. My favorite HelloFresh recipes are the ones that are unusual or maybe some ethnic food that I've never cooked before. It's really fun taking on the challenge, and it's really not that difficult because they just lay it out for you. The Thai-spiced pork meatballs is a big hit in my family, as well as the sesame beef tacos. The thing I can't get over with HelloFresh is that you don't have to have any cooking ability to make a really good meal for your family. So go sign up for HelloFresh yourself. Put on a good podcast or an audiobook and make something delicious for your family. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash MPU and use the code MPU10, you get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Try HelloFresh today, which is America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MPU. Use code MPU10 for 10 free meals, including shipping, and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to HelloFresh for the support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So, Jeff, we've spoken a lot about your use of the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, but of course, you are also working on more traditional computers, PC and Mac. Uh, so, I want to know what's sitting, you know, on your desk in the office and how you deal with all this information between these different platforms. Sure. So I have a, you know, my office uh, in my law firm, we're all PC. Um, We actually used to use Macs back in the 1990s, but switched over to PCs in the early 2000s because all of the uh, law-specific vertical software was really just for PC at the time, um, which has changed a bit now. But um, so I just have a a Dell laptop with an external monitor. And at home, I have a um, a 27-inch iMac, uh, which I love. And um, in fact, I love it so much. I have the version that came out in 2018. I presume that Apple is going to come out with an M1 iMac this year. And even though this iMac is perfectly fine, it's going to be tough to resist it when they have an M1 version. But um, so, yeah, so I'm constantly working between the, you know, when I'm in my office using the PC, when I'm at home using the iMac. Do you use the iMac? Uh, do you dual boot into Windows, or is it just uh, running Mac OS? No, I've tried that a long time ago and found that it wasn't really necessary. Because for me, if I'm going to be in a Windows environment, what I actually want to see is my my personal actual Windows environment. So I prefer to use remote access software so that I can, you know, take on my iMac screen. I can just show whatever my computer is doing in my office, even if I'm, you know, sitting across town here at home as I'm I'm actually recording from home today. So if I, if I want to get some work done, I just use the the app that I use is called log me in. And I know there's other remote access uh, apps too, but um, in just a couple keystrokes, once I authenticate myself, whatever screen is on the PC that's on and running in my office, I see it right here at home. In fact, it's even better because the display on this 27-inch iMac is far nicer than the uh, the Dell monitor that I have in my office. So it's, it's, even, it's even better in some ways. Um, and because I have a fast internet connection, at, um, it, you know, 
it basically just looks like my PC. If you walked in here, you would just see, you know, start menus and boring <laughs> PC icons and everything else. But that way, you know, things that are on my desktop or things that are in special locations, I can just get that work done within the sort of PC environment. You know, we have things like our document management system and other, you know, law-specific, um, you know, corporate-type, you know, client management, you know, all, all these sorts of corporate apps that are just within Windows. And that's fine because I just connect to the computer using my Mac and get all my work done. Um, but then sometimes, you know, I can also, you know, use use the other apps too because there's – you know, nowadays, between software being dual platform and things being browser based, you know, it's there's it's easy to get things done. I mean, I, I'm I'm a lawyer. I work with documents, and so Microsoft Word is a big part of my bread and butter. And Word works great on the PC. It works great on the Mac. It works great on the iPad. Works great everywhere. Um, in the pandemic, we've been using Microsoft Teams a lot. Um, to you know, instead of going to get together in a conference room and talk to a team about a project, we have these little video chats using Microsoft Teams, and you know you could do the same thing with Zoom, of course, and um, and that's all cross-platform, so it works wherever you are. You know, One Password, Text Expander, you know, whatever apps that I would be using on my PC, I have on my Mac, and it makes it um, it makes it pretty easy to go back and forth, really. The explosion of web apps and web technology makes the old battles of Microsoft versus Apple kind of silly because it doesn't matter which platform you're on now. So much of the stuff you do is web-based anyway. Um, but the idea of this log me in, um, you know, uh, you know, basically tunneling into your work computer to have windows on your Mac is one. I think a lot of people dismiss because they feel like it'd be too rickety or, you know, like the connection would be too slow. Um, I think there's a lot of people that would think about it, but haven't tried it. Share some of your experience with that. You know, where are the problems and what are the, the best practices? Well, you know, first of all, you need to make sure that your computer and your office is on. I mean, if you turn off your computer, you can't connect. Now, if that was to happen, I actually have a workaround because our office also has, um, it uses um, Citrix, which is sort of a virtual Windows environment. So I could, from any computer, including my Mac, connect to a, a, a Citrix environment for my law firm. And although it wouldn't be my my specific desk with, you know, my specific documents on my desktop where they are, it would be a generic uh, environment that would have all of the applications I would need, everything that's on our document management system, I can get that done. But to tell you the truth, I use Citrix maybe, I mean, once every three months, once every six months. I mean, it's so rare that the log me in remote access to my own computer doesn't work because I always have that computer on whether I'm in the office or not. And, and when I say on, I mean, of course, it's locked and everything. I mean, nobody can, you know, walk up in my, my office and start, you know, if they had access, nobody could use it. But once I, I log in and it, and it knows that it's me and I th- authenticate myself, um, it's it's not 100% the same speed as sitting in my office, but it's pretty close. And yeah. um, and like I said, it's a nicer screen. I mean, I have fast uh, gigabit uh Ethernet or internet rather at my home. And so I have a fast connection. And of course, my office has a fast connection. So I mean, I, I'm not saying that you'd want to do this with dial up. But um, but for most people, whether you're using a good Wi Fi connection, you know, or my iMac is actually directly connected using Ethernet. You know, the internet is not really a bottleneck for me. And, um, you know, you this you know, the keyboard works, the mouse works, everything just works. Yeah, back when I worked in a firm, I did the same thing. And I would even like write word processing documents and, you know, open Word on my office computer. Not always, because I could also do it on my Mac, but occasionally there would be some reason for me to do typing and input on that computer from 
a remote access and a computer that's 20 miles away from me. And it, it worked fine. And that was, you know, that was five years ago. So I'm sure it's only better now. In fact, I'll give you another example, David, you know, log me in is not, and many of these apps are not just on a Mac. I mean, they also work on an iPhone or an iPad. And so I have absolutely had times where I am in a hotel room somewhere because I'm taking a, a deposition, you know, across the country somewhere. And I, you know, I, I don't even take my computer with me. I just take my iPad and a keyboard and I will set up my iPad in, in the little case with the keyboard in front of it. So it looks like it's a laptop computer and I will use log me in on my iPad. And then suddenly my work computer is right there on my iPad. Um, and it's connected to all the fast network stuff. Cause it's literally in my office. I'm just sort of seeing the screen remotely and you know, the iPad screen at, at 12.9 inches is, you know, a little bit on the smaller side for a laptop, but it's, it works to get things done. And it's much better nowadays that you can use an external mouse and an external keyboard and everything else. And that works. And I've even had times when I've used my iPhone, you know, I've been sitting, you know, sitting in an airport and I forgot about a document on my desktop and, you know, looking at your computer screen on a small iPhone screen is not ideal. You're not going to write the, the next great American novel that way, but it works. <laughs> it works in a pinch and you can grab a document and, you know, navigate the little screen to email it to somebody or uh, it's, it's great that you can, um, you can work from wherever you are to just, just get the stuff done. Yeah, I mean, that's what in my mind makes you an iPad Jedi is that you travel routinely with just an iPad and you're a lawyer that does a lot of like heavy duty document work. And, you know, that ability to tunnel into your work computer, no matter where you are, I'm sure is essential for that, but it still is quite a trick, you know, to be able to go on the road and, and feel totally comfortable not bringing an, an actual um, like Mac or a PC laptop. Yeah. You know, Apple deserves a lot of credit for that though, because um, they, you know, I, I think back to like when the original iPhone came out in 2007, it was so limited, didn't have third-party apps. But the the big one for me is that it didn't have access to Microsoft Exchange, which is, you know, so much of, of companies in this, in this country around the world, you know, rely upon Microsoft Exchange. But now, I mean, it works, it works well. So I can just use the mail app on my iPad to get access to all my law firm email. And of course I've got all sorts of security nonsense that we have on here um, to make that secure, but it, um, it works great. And likewise, um, I, I don't actually use the native mail app on my Mac to work with exchange. I think that actually it would work, but it's, it doesn't work in my experience. The last time I tried it as seamlessly as my, um, as my iPad does. But, um, but even so you can use things like just a browser based, I can get into our firm email through a browser using the Outlook web, web access. And, you know, we've got super good security with two factor that, you know, I can't even log in unless I put not only my name and not only my password, but also use a, a, a authenticator app on my phone to confirm that I am really me. And I'm not somebody just pretending to be Jeff Richardson in some other part of the world. But once you get past that, then you're in, and then you can just, you know, deal with your emails and get work done. And, um, and it works great. And I think that's going to be even more in the future. I mean, I, I saw an article, I don't know if this is true, that Microsoft is, is thinking about, or they're going to be moving even away from Outlook as a client software and move it all towards web-based. And, and I mean, web-based stuff is so sophisticated. I, I just think that, especially for professional use, like what I do in a law practice, I think more and more software is going there and then it doesn't matter what you're using. I mean, you could use a Mac, you could use a PC, you could use whatever you want, you know, take out your old, you know, TRS-80 or whatever, take, you know, whatever you can get on there. It's... 
if you can check exchange with the TRS-80, <laughs> you're you may literally be able to do that. But uh. yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen that. Uh, my wife's a teacher and they use Microsoft products. And so she has an exchange email account. She does the same thing you do on her phone and in the browser <laughs> on the Mac. And I mean, it's really amazing how the iPhone and iPad in particular are, are really pretty agnostic towards different online you know, repositories of data, whether it be through mail or syncing contacts and calendars or even uh, things like Dropbox or Box plugging into the Files app. I feel like Apple's done a good job at making their devices play really well with others. And honestly, you have to hand it to Microsoft. I I, I realize yeah. they're a sponsor today, and this is totally, you know, not why I'm saying this, but they have really leaned into the Apple platforms and making their stuff just work. Um, I, I can't get over what a good job they've done with Word on the iPad. I'm sure, Jeff, that's one of the reasons why you can travel with just an iPad. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, one of the more complicated things that attorneys, and I'm sure others do, is you know redline edits where someone sends you a, a draft of a document and you want to edit it, but you would need to make it clear what your edits are and someone else has edits on top of that. And it works great. I mean, there's still a few things that Word on the iPad doesn't do as well as the computer, like styles, but um, but they're really at the edge. And Microsoft actively develops it. And I, you know, Microsoft may be you know, a sponsor for y'all today, but they're not paying me anything. And I, I could not be more impressed at how easy they make it is to get your work done using the Microsoft software on whatever platform you want. It doesn't have to be PC. Yeah, the way I get around that styles problem. So if you're if you're listening and use Microsoft Word on iPad, they don't let you adjust style formatting, which is something that I like to do. You know, I like to be very particular about styles. But I've just saved a bunch of style templates, and then I build documents off of those templates. And since since they're already built, I don't have to to adjust them on iPad. That's my little. And what you can do is you can take a, a paragraph that has the style you want, copy the paragraph go to a second paragraph, and when you paste, instead of pasting the paragraph, so you're replacing the content, there's a paste format option on the iPad, which will apply that, or paste style, rather, which will apply that style. So you can work around it, but it, you know, nevertheless, even though there's workarounds, it's not as seamless as it is on the computer. Spoken like a guy who travels with an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott a podcast about tech heroes who have made our modern world possible. Finding new podcasts is great, and I love finding ones that teach me about things I didn't know. And this show with Kevin Scott definitely falls into that category. Guest interviews from tech innovators, entrepreneurs, pioneers, and innovators are featured on every episode. Topics range from AI and machine learning to synthetic biology, neuroscience, data, space, predictions about the future, and more. The show has featured an incredible number of guests, including Dr. Mae Jemison, an astronaut, Tom Daniel, neuroscientist and bioengineer, and Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. He's also an entrepreneur, author, and venture capitalist. So a wide range of really interesting interviews on this show. So go and listen to it now. Just search for Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott wherever you get your podcast. That's Behind the Tech, or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to Behind the Tech and Microsoft for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jeff, I also know you're a home automation guy. You're I do. drinking from the uh, the forbidden fruit of HomeKit. 
Home, HomeKit is, it needs improvement. You know, Apple, uh, it could do so much more, but I do love what it does. Um, I, I, I use it a lot. Um, one of my, the, the most useful ones I have are by a company called Lutron. They have their Cassetta devices and um, they have like a Cassetta wireless dimmer, which you just take the dimmer that would be on your wall that would control your lights that turn the lights on or off or, or dim them up and down and you replace it and you install this device instead. And what I love about it is, most importantly, it is still a dimmer on your wall that with buttons on it that someone could go and touch. So it's got, you know, the old, you know, spousal approval factor that, you know, no one's going to lose their ability to use the lights. It's not like one of these uh, Philips Hue thing that you always have to have the light switch in the up uh, position and then control the lights elsewhere. So I love that. But then it gives you the ability to control lights from anywhere. So you know, when I started at my house, I started with the a couple of the wireless dimmers and some of their lamp dinners that just dimmers that just plug into an outlet and you plug a lamp into it. Um, and then using your you know iPhone or other devices, you can uh, you can control lights and it's easy just to tap to have lights come on, tap to have lights go off. Um, and over you know I started with a few and then over time sort of expanded out to other things. Like I have an outdoor one which is made by a company called iHome called their ISP 100 and it's an outdoor, it's, you know, safe for, you know, getting wet and things like that if it's outdoors and you plug in some things in it. So like at my house, I have lights in our backyard, you know, like Christmas sort of lights sort of so strung up um, in the backyard just to, to make things look a little bit nicer back there. And I love that I can just, you know, tap a button and get all that stuff to turn on. In fact, I even have one, we have a garage in the back and I had um, a, a Lutron installed in there so that if it's like dark at night, as I'm walking outside to go to the garage, I can get the light on before I even get to the garage to, to pull whatever, you know, things I want out of there. And then by the time I'm back in the house, I can turn it off. Um, and all, all, all that stuff works really well and I love it. And I like that you can you can use the app, the home app to do it or or the specific app for the manufacturer like Lutron or you could use Siri, you know, you can say, hey, you know who, you know, turn on the garage light and it will come on. Um, or recently during uh, the holidays, you know, hey, you know who, turn on the Christmas lights and it would turn on the lights on my tree and it would turn on some other Christmas lights we had hanging over the door to make everything look more festive and um, and, and worked great. And I also have an app uh, called a Home Run on my Apple Watch that it um, it lets you sort of design little panels on it that you can put different colored icons on it. So like I have one, in fact, I haven't taken it off yet, even though Christmas is over, but I'm looking at my watch right now and I have a little icon of a Christmas tree in the bottom right. And if I tap that, it would turn on all the Christmas related lights. So um, it, it's, I like it because it's, it's fun and it, it makes the home seem a lot more smart. Um, and, you know, my, my wife sometimes uses them as well. But especially when you use the Lutron uh, devices, everybody else can, if they just want to go press the buttons, that works fine too. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I've i talked about this on the show in the past, but having an automation system where it doesn't require your spouse to pull her phone out of her pocket <laughs> to turn the lights on has a 100% ch- chance, improved chance of adoption mm-hmm. and uh, keeping you out of the doghouse. Yeah. The, those Lutron things, though, once you buy one, you're going to buy more. That's That's another thing. It's like an M1 Mac. Don't pick one up unless you're willing to go down the rabbit hole fully. It took me like a year, but I was buying like one a month. And then before I knew it, the whole house basically has Lutron in it now. My wife gave me a, a, a Lutron lamp dinner for, dimmer for Christmas as one of my presents. <laughs> I'm saying like, I don't even know what you're going to do with it, but I'm sure you'll find something to do with it. So uh, well, proof, proof that man, she knows you, me. You married well. That's all I I'm going to say. No question she about gets that. it. Have y'all been doing anything that does automation with with HomeKit, or are you just um, doing uh, 
you know, the simple stuff that I was just talking about. Like, do y'all have lights coming on or automatically and stuff? Yeah, I've got a, a few automations going. Uh, I have some lights that come on and go off at certain times across the front of the house. So it looks like someone's home or if we are home, it's just as it's getting dark, you know, the lamps come on. Um, but I also use something called the Starling Home Hub. You can do this with HomeBridge as well that puts your Nest equipment into HomeKit. It acts as sort of a translator. And so I have a couple of scenes where I can turn the camera on and set the Nest alarm in my office or disarm it, turn certain lights on and off. And so setting those scenes, being able to control them or letting automation control them with time, it's it's fantastic. You know, a lot of the pieces of HomeKit are simple, but if you spend some time, especially if you use apps like Home Run, which is really cool, you can really make this stuff sing. Yeah, I, I don't even want to open the uh, Pandora's box of my home automation right now. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, Stephen, though, that that um, device that allows you to use your Nest Cams, does mm-hmm. that also allow you to use them as HomeKit, uh, HomeKit secure video cameras? Uh, no, it because the Nest stuff is tied to their service, but it yeah. does put the cameras in the home app. So I can view them in the home application if I want to, but it, it won't save the stream that still goes to, to Nest. Yeah. Over the holidays, I was seeing deals on those Eufy cameras that can be used for yeah. um, HomeKit secure video. They were like 30 bucks. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how cheap they were over the holidays. Um, so that, that's going to be a good story this next year. I think that all that stuff is going to get a lot easier. I haven't tried the cameras yet. We don't, we don't have any in our house, but I do do the same thing as you, Steven, where we have, um, lights in the front of our house. In fact, we have, um, for, for the architecture folks on the call, we have on the podcast, listening to the podcast, we have a Greek revival style house, which means there's an upstairs balcony and a, and a downstairs one, but they're on completely different light switches, of course, but I have it automated that they will come on at the same time, right around, you know, sun set and then go off a certain number of hours before sunrise. And that's nice that they can just come on automatically. And it's also, you know, nice that they, even if we're not here, you know, in in the days when we'll travel again, have the lights come on automatically. And the other automatic thing I have is um, I've been using this thing called the Elgato Eve Motion. And we have it set up in our, uh, the room that we have our our big TV in. And uh, it's just a motion detector. And so if someone walks in, the lights just sort of come on automatically for you, which is sort of, you know, fancy and fun. Um, And you have to tweak that to make it work correctly because what you don't want to have is someone's back there watching TV with the lights turned off and then someone walks in and suddenly the lights come on full blare and you're blind. But, um, but I have it set up that, you know, it will only come on if it, if it's been three hours since it last, cha- you know, you have to do a little, a little scripting on that to make it work. But, but once you get it set, it's nice just to be able to walk in a room and have the lights come on automatically. You feel like you're in some, you know, fancy living in the Jetsons or something. Yeah. That, I think there's a, a curve for automation where it gets progressively more difficult exponentially based on the number of people in the home. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU to get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. Hiring is one of those things you do not want to mess up. You need to hire great people if you want to take your entire business to the next level. And with the stakes this high, there is only one choice, Indeed. Now let me tell you why. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed's instant match. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. 
Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates right away. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to TalentNest. If you want your quality shortlist fast, you need Indeed. And right now, listeners of the Mac Power users get a free $75 credit to upgrade their job post at Indeed.com MPU. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. So get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com MPU. One last time, that's Indeed.com MPU. Offer is valid through March 31 and terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Jeff, every time we have a guest like you on, there's always a couple cool apps or services that you're using, um, and we want to hear about them. You know, tell us some other stuff you're doing with your your Apple tech. Sure, you know, one of the ones that Apple just came out with last month is their new Fitness Plus service, and I really like it. I've been using it quite a bit. Um, I subscribe to the Apple One uh, Premier service, which you know gives you a whole bunch of the Apple stuff automatically. So in my mind, I was going to get Fitness Plus for free. So I figured, you know, you know, I got it without paying anything extra. I might as well use it. But I found it to be really, really useful. I I have a treadmill in my house, and um, I mean, believe me, I'm the opposite of an Iron Man or any fitness person. But um, but now that Apple's made it so easy and sort of fun with the Fitness Plus app. I find myself, you know, using it almost every day. And so whether I use the treadmill workouts with my iPad propped up there as my screen or some of the strength workouts that I'll watch on the, um, on my Apple TV and our, and our big TV room, just sort of, you know, move the uh, furniture and stuff to the side. So you've got some space to walk around in there and they're, they're very nicely done. You know, because I'm a technology geek, I love that it works with my Apple watch and it'll show me right there on the screen what my actual heart rate is, you know, how much time I have left. I love that when you get to an intense part of the workout, um, you know, you're going to be doing this, you know, really high setting for 45 seconds. It puts up like a separate little countdown timer for that. I just think it's really well done. And I know that there are other services out there like Peloton and stuff that people have loved. And I'm sure those are great too. But this one just, you know, it works. It's so professionally done. I mean, gosh, one thing we all learned last year when Apple did its um, keynote presentations during the pandemic in 2020 is that Apple knows how to produce a very good looking video. And these workout videos, they look great. The people that they've hired as the trainers are just really good. And um, and it's it's great how it how it works with your Apple Watch. Um, so it makes it feel very personal. Um, I just think that they're great. And it's it's encouraged me to do to be a lot more active than I would have been otherwise, which I guess is the whole point. So it's it's been great. Steven, we haven't had a chance to talk about this on the show. Have you played with the Fitness Plus service yet? Uh, I have not yet, uh, just because I'm still in the walking boot after my foot surgery in October. But oh, that's right. But, but yeah. my, my wife has been using it. I think she, I think for her, it's a little too basic in places. She was already doing sort of the online class thing for a long time before this. So uh, I think she likes the the Apple Watch integration, but I think the content isn't quite what she was hoping for. But uh, but I am looking forward to to trying it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully here pretty soon, and I'll definitely report back. Yeah, I, I guess I'm like more at Jeff's level. Uh, if you saw me, you'd probably agree. You know, 
<laughs> that, you know, I, I'm not a super fit guy, but I try. You know, I before the pandemic, I was a member at Orange Theory and I would go in there and get my butt kicked three or four times a week. But I kind of like the the tone of the coaching. I don't know how else to put it. Um, uh, I am not somebody who responds well to someone yelling at me, whereas <laughs> the, uh, you know, it just doesn't work for me. It never has. And the older I get, the worse it is. Um, but the, the, the way they coach in these things is actually very kind of positive, I guess, for lack of a better term. So I, I've been using it regularly. My only complaint about it, which I think is probably just, it's cause it's a version one services. My wife and I want to do it together and yeah. there's no way to put both of our devices on the screen at once. Apple's so bad at people who have families. Yeah. Come on, Come man. on. You probably also have photos you want to share, but you can't do that easily either. <laughs> what, you, what is this craziness you're talking about? But, but the, uh, but so the, the workaround is for, you know, one of us to be the official person on screen and one of us just to run the workout on our watch and it's fine. But, but it's not, you know, I mean, I feel like that's an easy box to check. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 1.0 product. I mean, I'm sure they'll get better in yeah. the future, but um, yeah. hopefully so. Hopefully it won't stay like this. And, you know, even if there's, I'm sure there's more sophisticated things out there, like you said, Stephen, for, that your wife is using, but, you know, maybe this is like, you know, you start with the reminders app and then you move up to something more sophisticated from there. Sure. You know, maybe the Apple is just the the beginning and the, and the, and I, I will probably always be in the beginning to moderate level of, of uh, working out. So for me, it's, it's going to be great. Um, and I also like the privacy of it that, you know, there are things on here like a dance workout and yoga that I would be way too self-conscious to do that, you know, in a room with a bunch of other people in there, but I'll try it <laughs> if nobody else can see me and see how I do in my own home. So that mm-hmm. was nice too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing about orange theory was like, kind of, it was like a wall of shame. I mean, your data was on a screen with everybody else in the class, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whereas here you, you are your home and you're doing it. Um, another thing, Jeff, that you write about occasionally over at iPhone JD, which gets remarkably little coverage on the internet, but I think is something people should be aware of is CarPlay. Oh, I, I love CarPlay. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. You were an early adopter of CarPlay with whatever car you had. It, it had the service in it, but, but you are frequently dropping little tips for people that use CarPlay. What are, what are a couple tips you would share today with folks that have CarPlay and aren't getting the most out of it? Here's one tip, um, you know, use the maps feature on it, you know, whether it's the Apple maps or, I mean, of course you can use Google maps and other, and ways and third-party services as well, but you know, you may know as you were driving to, you know, the grocery store or someplace else, of course, you know how to get there. You don't need the maps to tell you, but when you put a route in there and you tell Apple where you're going, um, it will give you like alerts along the way. Like if there's a traffic issue, it will actually alert you. If there's traffic cameras, it will show you that coming up. So you don't get a ticket, you know, not that we're speeding anyway, but sometimes it's nice to know that they're coming up. Um, And it, it makes it easy because CarPlay is smart enough that, or at least tries to be smart enough that when you get in the car, when you go and when you tap on the maps app, it will often suggest, you know, I know where you go at six o'clock every day. You're probably headed home, aren't you? And so it will suggest the destination. You can just tap one button to do it. Um, but then you get that advice. So even if you don't think about normally using it, uh, I, I encourage you to, to use the, the maps um, the maps app. The other one, I mean, for listening to podcast, if anyone uses CarPlay that's listening to this podcast and isn't using the Overcast app, the Overcast app on, on CarPlay works really well. And it, I, I use it all the time for, for listening to podcasts. It works great. Um, and I also love how CarPlay can, you can use Siri to read you stuff while you're driving. I mean, not that you want to be distracted, but sometimes I'll have something really important going on at work and I'm, I'm driving someplace or driving to a deposition and I will just ask, um, you know, who 
to read me my new emails. And it, it really just gives you who it's from. And it's not going to read much of it, but it's going to give enough between the subject line and the sender to give me a sense of, is there something really important there that I need to know about right now? Um, or, or is things fine? Um, and of course, you know, if people text you, we can read you that and stuff too. So um, I just find it's, it's, it's just makes my car so much more powerful. I would never even consider buying a car that didn't have CarPlay in it. I feel the same way. I mean, I, I retrofitted a, a third party head unit into my truck so I could have CarPlay and my, bought my wife a new van last year and now two years ago and it, it came with CarPlay. I definitely don't want to uh, drive without it. Uh, I think I think one thing I would I would share with people is CarPlay supports a lot more third party apps than it did in the beginning. If you go to Apple's website and there'll be a link in the show notes, you can see all the different maps apps and podcast apps and music apps, all these different things that now work with CarPlay. Apple has very tight control over that, so Twitter is not going to be able to build a CarPlay app because you have to have special permission from Apple. And they're really limiting the categories that these apps are in, but chances are, uh, if some you know if you're using a podcast client or a Maps client or something, that it it's probably supported by CarPlay if it's popular enough. So you're not stuck to the Apple ecosystem where that was definitely a lot more true when CarPlay launched, you know, five four or five years ago. And one last um, tip I would add is go into the settings in your iPhone for CarPlay, and you can adjust the home screen and uh, my wife the reason i say this my wife likes Waze app mm-hmm. and i was driving with her and she would swipe to the right to get to the Waze app i'm like you that's the only how come you put that on the second page she didn't realize that she could have moved it to the first page so every time she wanted to go somewhere she was doing this swipe over to get to the Waze app and that's silly you know put the app she used the most often often on the first page of the carplay App. And I, I just think a lot of people don't even realize that setting is there. That's a really good suggestion because it is hitting, hidden. I mean, you have to go into the settings on your iPhone to find it in there. But, um, but, but you know, that, that makes it so much better. Yeah. And, and that means that your settings follow your phone. So if I get in my wife's van and her phone is plugged in, it shows what she wants on CarPlay. And then I plug my phone in, it shows what I want because we have things in different places maybe yeah, that's that's a great feature because, you know, there's apps on my phone. Like I have every podcast client you've ever heard of on my phone because of my job. Well, I only listen to podcasts in one of those. And so having the ability to, to hide those other ones is is really great. I, I feel like we can't move off CarPlay without me just mentioning briefly a very strange text thread I had with Stephen this week. Uh-oh. Um, Stephen sent me a picture this week. Uh, he installed something on his truck that now gives it the power of the sun. That's right. Stephen, what what did you do to your truck? Yeah, I put a big uh, light bar on the front of it because I'm more redneck than the internet thinks I am. And okay. sometimes <laughs> I'm out in the country and need more light. So I did some, did some wiring this weekend. It is very bright, man. It, it is, is ridiculous. You can't look at it directly. Uh, not for driving on the street with. We'll just leave it at that. Now we need to figure a way to add some shortcut automation for that. <laughs> well, it has this, uh, physical switch. So, you know, there was for a while on Amazon, maybe it's still there, this little like button pusher that you could address with uh, HomeKit, I think. So there's probably yeah. a way. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, what, before we move off from CarPlay, one thing that I think about when I think of CarPlay is, you know, I love my iPad so much, but the the one of the limitations I mentioned earlier was sometimes you need more screen space. You know, in theory, I think it'd be really cool if you could hook an iPad up to an external display 
um, which you can do now, and it will mirror the image or it will, you know, display one thing, but actually have like some apps running on the external display and different apps working on the iPad screen. And, you know, Apple certainly could do that. Um, but they haven't done it yet. And proof that they could do it is CarPlay, right? Because when you're using CarPlay, you know, your iPhone is controlling the whole show. The the the, the screen in your car is just really sort of a, a dumb screen. Your, your iPhone's controlling everything. So you have apps running on the CarPlay screen at the same time that you could be using separate apps on the iPhone. So it just reminds me that Apple has this ability. I wish they would bring it to the iPad. Yeah. I mean, just external support. Right now, all it does is mirror. And like, there are some really nice third party, and you were talking about screen space being your big hang up with the iPad on Amazon, they sell like 15 inch foldable screens, led screens that you could pack with you on a trip. And the only problem is the iPad OS doesn't drive it that way. So like you could like, ideally you could like send your contract in your um, PDF editor to the external screen and have word open on your main iPad screen, something like that. Right, and that is definitely I feel like low hanging fruit for them. That, that's that one seems like it's an obvious one they should get they should get support for. And, and don't write in. I know that there are some apps that can separately address. Like MindNode is the one everybody always talks about, where you can like kind of present from MindNode onto an external display. But that is almost never used, and it really isn't multi screen support. It's like single app multi screen support that is rarely used. It's it's and not you're good still- enough. Yeah, and you're still running the app on your iPad at the same time you're running it on the screen. Different things are being shown on each screen, but it's not different apps on different screens. So, uh, One last thing. You had told us that you upgraded your uh, your home network for the pandemic You know, with everybody home. Um, give us some details. Yeah, that was a big upgrade. Um, I had I bought the Eero Pro system sort of near the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, you know, we certainly quickly learned when everybody was finding their little spot of the house to be doing their online school or their online work or their online keep my sanity or whatever it was, that uh, the internet did not work as well in some parts of my house as others. And so we bought the, uh, you know, the Eero, you need to have a mesh system to really blanket a home and Wi-Fi. And I decided to go for the Eero Pro, which is a little bit more expensive than the regular Eero, mainly because the it offered a tiny bit more speed, but also the Eero Pro units have Ethernet ports in them. And I found that useful, like, you know, for example, back to HomeKit stuff, there are some things like Lutron that require a hub, and it just sort of worked well for me to have a, a Lutron hub in the same place that I had a, an Eero Pro. But so I have my own house wired that in, you know, the top corner of one part of the house where I am right now in my study is where the internet comes in. And then in the, that's on the second floor. And then on the bottom floor in the back of my house where we have our TV room, we have an Eero Pro there too. And I actually have them connected by an ethernet line that runs outside of our house that I had somebody professionally install years ago. So those two actually have a hard connection. And then I have a third Eero Pro sort of in the middle of the house. And with those three Eero Pros, um, I mean, the whole house, you get super fast Wi-Fi wherever you are. And, you know, that the three-pack cost me $500, and which is not nothing, but boy, it is it was just a world change. Um, shortly after I bought the Euro Pro, they came out with the next version of it, the Euro Pro 6, which if you have something that works with Wi-Fi version 6, for example, the newest iPhone does, iPhone does. It allows for, you know, maybe even faster speed, but I got to tell you, you know, the, the speed that we get here, I think it's maybe capped. And I say that in quotes, cause it's not really a cap at all at 500 gigs. I mean, it, it is, it is so fast that no matter where we are in the house, 
kids can be streaming their videos or attending online classes, and I can be using log me in with the firm, and my wife could be you know watching a you know streaming video. I mean, everything works great, and you know it, it's such a, a great upgrade. I, I wish I had done it sooner, but I'm glad I did it when I did. Yeah, I'm an enthusiastic Eero customer as well. Um, I even bought a couple extra units because of the layout of our house. But I, I'll never understand why Apple just kind of conceded that ground. Yeah, I used to use the airports for years. And the specific reason I used them was because as much as I consider myself a tech nerd, I hate networking. It's the, it's the one area of technology that things just don't work the way you think that they should. And it's confusing. And the airport, I mean, I used to have Apple's airport extremes. What I loved about them is they were they were good, but and they were more expensive than competitors. But but they just worked. I mean, you, it was plug and play. They They worked. But then Apple, you know, as you said, David, didn't upgrade them. Apple should have continued that line. They should have incorporated mesh technology. They should have incorporated now their HomePod technology. And it would be one of the hottest products on the internet. But they uh, they gave up too soon. I know Apple likes to limit to, to just have a few good things. But this is one of the cases where if I was running the company, um, I would have uh, I would have kept that one around. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the glue that holds your entire home network together, right? And they just, they walked away from it. And, you know, when you think about the options, like they could have made HomePods, uh, like base stations, like a networked Wi-Fi base station. So you could have made, you know, you could have, inc- you could have sold more HomePods. I, I don't know. I, I just don't understand it. And obviously Eero was for sale because Amazon bought them, mm-hmm. you know, right. they could right. have brought that team into Apple and done some, I, I don't know. I, I that's a, that's one I'll never understand. Maybe someday we'll get the whole story, but. Yeah. Speaking of something that here's another one I'll throw out something that Apple walked away from. Apple used to have its old mobile me uh, service way back when. And I used to use mobile me. I, I talked about photography earlier for uh, sharing photographs with families and friends. Cause I would often, you know, take pictures at events and it gave me a nice little online place to throw stuff up. And then when Apple got out of that business back in 2012, I guess it was, um, I switched over to a service called smug mug, which is great because it, it, it gives, you have to pay for it. Um, and I pay, I think I pay $85 a year. There's a cheaper version at 55, but it's a great place to put your pictures, to let all your friends and families can see the pictures. They can download the full quality versions. And most importantly, there are no ads. So this is not like, you know, Flickr or all these other ridiculous services that, you know, there's pop-up things trying to steal your information and getting in your way. It's just clean. It's simple. Um, it's a great way to present, uh, photographs and you can put them in little albums and I have them separated into years. And now that I've been using it for eight years now, and, and I have some older stuff up there too, it's like a little mini version of my photo album that's there that, you know, I give, you know, it's password protected. So I only give certain people access to it, but it's a great way to share pictures, you know, pictures of kids with the grandparents sort of thing. It's, it's fabulous for that. Have you looked at the, uh, the photo sharing tools they have now, like where you can share a library or not a library, but a, um, a, an album in comparison? I find they're a little complicated and um, I'm not even sure the last time I checked that they share the full, the full quality version of the photo when you do it that way. Um, I, I know that some people use that, that you can have people share photos with each other. But for me, it's been more of a one-way thing. You know, I'm putting up the pictures and other people are seeing them. And so that this approach has, has fit my workflow better. Yeah, and also Smug Mug works better if you've got people in your circle that are not on an iPhone, you know, that maybe have a different platform and they can't get access to those shared libraries. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for uh, for coming in and bringing us up to date with everything you're doing. I, I'm so impressed to hear how much you're getting done with the iPad and 
and you're still working on a PC and a and Windows at the same time. So how is Windows doing? Is Windows okay? Uh, what can I say? I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, I've got yeah. the historical bias of someone that's been using Mac since the 1980s. So yeah. Windows will never. I mean, of course, Windows is better today than it used to be. But I view Windows as where I get my work done. And then I view the my Apple products, whether it's my iMac or my iPad or iPhone, where I have fun getting the work done. So There you go. Well, there you go. Uh, the website is iPhoneJD.com. It's just a great resource if you use an iPhone. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or not. Jeff, if you're interested in being productive with your iPhone and your iPad, Jeff has great content there every week, and I would recommend checking it out. Anywhere else people should go to check you out, Jeff? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Richardson, which is just the place where I will occasionally post some iPhone or iPad tips. I don't post a lot. Um, but if you want to, if you like to follow websites uh, via Twitter, iPhone JD on Twitter, every time there's a new post on the website, there is a new tweet that just automatically goes out and gives you a link. There you go. And thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, HelloFresh, Microsoft, and Indeed. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us on relay.fm slash MPU. You can join the discussion at talk.macpowerusers.com. Um, and we're going to go into cars and more power users today. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. <laughs>